Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester podcast. I'm your host as always, Phil Bright, joined with my regular co-host, the excellent James Rhodes from the Edith Muppeteers. Um, we were optimistic last week, James, that hopefully by Monday we would be in a much better mood. Um, uh, we uh, probably, not surprisingly, watched United put in another horrendous performance yesterday, uh, 3-0, not competitive, Um and a lot of very, very worrying signs. First of all, how are you doing, my friend? Doing all right today, and I uh, hope you as well. I think we're both feeling a bit better after, physically anyway, after last week. Uh, yeah, last week was rough. Mm. Yeah. You know, I have to say, watching the Derby yesterday, and I said this on the podcast last week, where I felt a bit disconnected from football and United in general. And I've watched derbies before where you needed to play terrible and it's been excruciating. Yesterday was more apathetic. I just mm-hmm. sat Yeah, I know. I know. There was no hurt. Maybe because there was no expectation. But yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm watching you need to get completely outclassed. And I was sitting there thinking, I remember watching Sheffield United and City earlier in the season at Bramall Lane. And uh, Sheffield United were one each with five minutes to go. City came back and won the game. And I was thinking of all the times that I've watched City this season, United might be the worst team that have played them. Young boys mm-hmm. were one each with them when we were recording this podcast midweek last week, finished up 3 1. Yep. United were never even close to them. I mean, once the, the second half was. I mean, I, I don't understand how a football team of 11... Fine if you're not the same level, fine if you can't beat them, but you're not even competitive. And yeah. what I'm seeing out there is so concerning. And, I mean, there's lots of things to talk about, about yesterday's game, but a defining trait... I was looking back at my tweets from 2020 and Mourinho era, and it's the same thing. You know, it's the mm-hmm. same gutless, spineless surrender in these big games yeah and i don't i mentioned you know at one point i don't even know what it is to be honest because i mentioned at one point i was watching bernardo silva who had an amazing game for city but i watched him just individually because you know it's very easy to it is easy and i'm not saying it's wrong at some points in times but it is very easy to say they didn't try they didn't run. I see that a lot. And sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. But I watched Bernardo Silva. I've never seen a player walk more than him. And he tore United apart just with very little effort, very little intensity. He would get the ball in, you know, uh, out near the side or in the half space. He would take two steps and put the ball exactly where he wanted it to be without a second thought. And then he would move slowly back to where he was supposed to go. And I swear there were, there were, there was an instance, I think it was the lead up to the second goal where city made something like 75 or hundred straight passes prior to the goal occurring. And it went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I watched him and he walked the entire sequence. He walked, he didn't even have to jog. He was just walking. And um, and I remember looking at that and thinking, there's so much, I don't even know where to start when that happens, when, when it's so easy that it's second nature for City. And that's the scary part about that game too. City didn't, there was games, there's been games against Liverpool because Klopp tends to be more like, a little bit more ruthless in some ways where like 7-0, where Liverpool just completely out-muscled, out-managed, and out-fought United at every turn to everything, and they didn't take their foot off the gas one time. I don't know that City ever even started. It was like a training routine for them from the first minute. And yeah. it seemed that way through the whole game. Like, I don't... They seemed like they didn't even break a sweat. They didn't need to. I mean, I think the goal we're talking about was the third goal. The second goal is really interesting because I think it illustrates some of the most obvious problems. Um, the ball comes down the United's right-hand side, and Dallo is high, <clears throat> and um, Ederson gets the ball, plays it, plays it out, and Dallo 
is literally walking back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, walking back, right? Yeah. And you can see City ahead of him. He's just a light jog, a light jog, a light jog, a light burnout. The ball ends up coming from the left hand side, his right hand side, over into Holland, and there's nobody marking Holland at the back post. They, this had happened right before half time. Oh, yeah. They had like two or three warnings about that exact thing. I mean, who leaves Erling Holland unmarked at the back post? I mean, this is this is unbelievable. And you're watching Dallow, and he kind of breaks into a jog, and then he quit back, back post. Third goal. Christian Eriksen looks like um, he's stuck a leg out there. I'll try to maybe close City down a bit. I uh, can't be bothered, go. And you're going, this is a total disgrace. I mean, this is a total yeah. disgrace. Like, and I don't understand how it is that you can't, you know, why do you keep doing this? Like, this is, you need to always find themselves in the same situation where their players just look like, I can't be bothered. As soon as they concede or any, 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 anything happens in a game where it requires any type of character, per, they, don't, they don't have it. And if you look at the games, even that they've won this season, the Wolves game, they tried to lose, right? Mm -hmm. They should have a penalty. You know, Copenhagen, they give a penalty away in the last minute. You know, uh, Sheffield United, Scott McTominay gives a penalty away, right? Um, you know, <clears throat> four minutes into the second half, did he score their second goal? Exactly the same thing they did against Spurs, right? So, yep. stop play within a few minutes, goal conceded, right? No organization, all over the place, and you're sitting there, you go, they repeat the same problems every single week. Every, you know, you look at the goals they conceded against Galatasaray, you look at the goals they conceded against Forest. These are unbelievable goals at this level. You're going, this is. I mean, the goals against Brighton, you're going, I, I, I mean, this is the worst possible way that if you, you put these players together and said they play the, the worst possible way you can, this is what it would look like. I mean, Ten Hag has to take some responsibility here, James. Yeah. Because yep. I'm going to say, Mason Mount's on the bench again. Where did you what did you buy Mason Mount for then if you're not to play yeah. him against Man City? And he it, it was weird because he had a couple of decent games when he played well against Galatasaray. Yeah, you know, he did. He had a couple of good games. Um picked up that little knock and now he's out of the team. Then you bring off Amrabat at half time. So there's two of your made two of your summer signings taken out of your biggest game of the season. Your 85 million pound right winger is on the bench, comes on. Like a petulant child almost gets sent off. A guy who's already alienated that because of what happened in Brazil because he's been absolutely appalled. Right? Mm -hmm. and you're going, Eric, you, you play Victor Lindelof at left back. He's not a left back by any means. You're regular on the bench. I'm going, I have to be honest, I, I, I don't think you should be sacked or anything. But these are big questions that need to be answered. Yeah. I still, I'm looking at the Mason Mount thing and I'm going, you know, I remember stuff he was saying at the start of the season about how important and everything he was to United and going, this is a head scratch, I meant. What, 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 why, why is he not starting in your biggest game of the season? Yeah, well, that's where a lot of the, unfortunately, the defense falls down on this situation. I don't know if I believe him, but he also left Rafael Varane on the bench for Johnny Evans. Yeah, another big question. Why? I have no idea. And didn't he didn't come on. I think he's probably injured, to be honest. But we'll come back to that in a minute because an article came out. And, and so we'll go back to injuries a little later. Um, but yeah, it's $145 million in spend on the bench. Mm -hmm. And you have your first choice. Well, I should say, I shouldn't say you have your first choice because Casemiro's not there. But for this game and for Copenhagen. You had your first choice front three available in Rashford, Hoyland, and Anthony. You had Bruno Mount and Amrabat available. Two of those players you signed and wanted all summer. And Bruno, who you handed a new contract to uh, at the start of your tenure and approved that. So you have your six first choice players between midfield and attack. And you know the kind of funny part about this, not funny, but unfortunate part about this, is... The only thing worse than the back line is the midfield and attack. I think yeah. Maguire and Evans were probably two of the better players in that game. I'm not saying they were good. I'm not saying they were great. Well, they were but they weren't that bad. They weren't that bad. Everywhere else looks like it doesn't have a clue. 
that midfield had no idea what it was doing the entire game. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was doing. Scott McTominay was the second striker again. I don't know what he's doing. The front three or four, whatever it might be, with Bruno out wide has not yet worked for Eric Ten Hag. Yeah. And it keeps keeps happening. It keeps going and it never works. And I'm not going to, this isn't absolving the players of the responsibility in the slightest, but these are questions where you have to say, you left 145 million in Rafael Varane and Regulon, another player you signed on the bench for a Derby versus City at home. Why? Yeah. No, Why any of that? For a question. You know, and and it, it, there was some good kind of takes on it, which is that it, it's, it, it seems like, they're the decisions, even though there's not an implication that this is the case, I have to wonder when it comes to this takeover. It seems like you're watching a manager make somewhat desperate choices, almost as if he thinks he's fighting for his job. And it's odd because there hasn't even been it. I mean, as much as it's it's been discussed and it's it's sort of funny because it feels like choices are being made out of desperation for someone who isn't confident that they're in a job, but those same choices are kind of what's leading to most of the questions about, about it. Well, you know, me, and, uh, as a native manager, you're always fighting for your job. Of course. Right. Of course. So he, but it seems to me that he, um, he is out of ideas himself. Yeah. That's what I mean by desperation. Yeah, like you that, don't know anymore. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, the way he wants to play, you need to don't spend enough time in training ground to perfect that because it's game, 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 game. Right? So you, you play a game, you know, one or two days training, game, one or two days training, game. So it's really hard to perfect what he's wanting to do. You're looking at a team that um, are so easy to play against. They're so predictable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same attack every single time. You needed and, and you know I'm sitting there going, why is Bruno Fernandez playing on the right when you're 85 million pound right foot right winger who doesn't have a right foot is sitting on the bench, right? Um and I'm, I'm going, you know, if you look at United's front three, no goals, no assists, seven games. I think there's one assist in there. Yeah. If you look at the goals United have scored minus five goal difference in comparison to everyone else in the top eight, it's atrocious. They're a half of what everyone else is. Yep. So you've got a, a forward line that doesn't score, a leaky defence. You've got a midfield that looks all over the place. I think it's a reasonable question to say to Ten Hag, why? You know, I, I mean, it says excuses, but tell me why this team looks like it plays blindfolded, like it took a game on a day's notice. Because to me, one of the things I will agree with Jimmy Carragher, but I, I mean, there was a period last season in his defense, where it looked like it was coming together, where you never yeah. had a really mm-hmm. well double momentum, they were beating teams, they were playing well, playing exciting football. We have had that before, we had that with Solskjaer, we've had that Mourinho, we've had that with other managers where you have these purple patch periods where everything looks like it's going right, but it's not sustainable. We should know in your second season what your identity looks like. Now, yeah. Nicola had to face similar questions like this is Arsenal's second, third season, I get it, right? But I'm looking at that United team and I'm going, it looks so unbalanced to me. You know, he has a problem in the front line, in my opinion, with Anthony doesn't do enough for him. Marcus Rashford is a striker that wants to play on the left, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at the service that Holland got yesterday. If Rasmus Hoyland is playing in City team, Rasmus Hoyland's sitting on seven eight goals. Yeah. Pedro Neto and Pleasure Woods is sitting on seven assists. I don't think he needed seven assists throughout the whole team, right? And then you're sitting and you're going, why is all these other teams functioning? And United just look absolutely appalling. I mean, I, I, yep. if that had been a day he had yesterday, we would be sitting looking, looking at six, yep. seven easily. Yep, easily. Right? And you're going, you know, it, this is this is not where you're supposed to be in your second yep. season you know, in, in November. Yeah, and, you know, there was a good article in The Athletic that came out Friday, and it's, I think, the concern that a lot of us have at this point in time, which is, the reason you, you you brought in Eric Ten Hag in the first place is because of his experience in implementing what was, I mean, there was a lot of briefs about this. United were not shy about putting this message out there that Eric Ten Hag in, during that whole choice of manager selection was selected because he was viewed as the person who could bring the best identity, a playing style, an imprint, what he'd done at Ajax, put it in place. And, um, 
the the athletic article detailed pretty well that last year, you know, there was an abandonment of that in search of results anyway. And it produced a pretty good season, but it didn't really get us closer to having an identity or a style that was the way he'd want to play. But there was something that started to take shape a little bit up through about the cup final. And then I don't know what happened after that. Um, but then this year, it seems to have taken almost a step even further backwards where there's not only not a style that he wants to implement, but there's not even a pragmatic style that worked last year to produce results. And it is questionable because I guess the, the point being, I know personally that I would, I don't think fans are patient in general, which is one of the concerns with Ten Hag overall. I don't know that this would be the case for everybody, but I would personally be more inclined to have patience if I saw an idea forming and moving and coming together, even if the results weren't there. And that takes a lot of strength from the manager, takes a lot of strength from players, and it takes a lot of strength from management itself to do that. You keep that process going and the results eventually come. I'd have more patience for that because then there's at least a point. If you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be able to start implementing a pattern, a style, an idea, even if your players are poor at it right now and they need more time and you need more players to get there, then really what you're saying is you're an interim manager because what are you killing time for? What's the end goal? When is it going to end? What's the improvement that's going to occur? Because you're not going to last. It's not going to have, uh, it's not going to build. There's nothing building. You're just killing time towards the end. And and that is the, the concern. And it, that's a, that certainly is on the management side of it as well. Why does a United manager feel two games into last season that they had to abandon the way they wanted to play because they got two bad results? I think what United have to do is if they wanted to change Ten Hag, and I'm not saying they should, I'm just saying that it has to be for all the right reasons. It can't be because players want him out. It can't be because there's a bunch of unhappy players. It can't be for those reasons. And you have to identify exactly why he failed so that whenever you replace him, you replace him with someone and support them properly and to make sure they succeed. I don't think Nader are capable of doing that with the current setup. I think that yeah. that will have to be done with a proper you know, sports department with proper analytics, with proper people that are supporting the manager where they can, you know, forensically analyze a process and say, this is where it's going wrong. You know, we've given you this, 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 but, but it hasn't resulted in, you know, any type of, you know, progress, you know, so now we can properly evaluate you and now we can, you know, um, decide whether you're worthy of keeping or not. Um, the problem with United is there's just so much internal chaos and yeah. you now have a CEO that doesn't expect to be there. You now have people in key football positions that don't expect to be there, no matter how good a job they do. Um, yeah. They've got one foot out the door. Um, these are people that are no longer working towards any long-term success goal at Manchester United where, hey, let's make sure we win this this season. They're not going to be there to see it. And so yeah. you're sitting there, you're going, you have a completely dysfunctional football club behind them. And it was thought it was interesting when Guardiola said after the game, you know, we have uh, we have complete agreement across the club with the sporting director, the club and all departments, which to me was, you know, a dig at United, the complete dysfunction. And I don't think, and you've talked, brought this up a number of times with club, um, you can accomplish anything without that. You know, when yeah. you look at the, the people that Klopp brought in, exceptional people in, in other areas, all, all, all good businesses have really talented people in key positions because most people aren't that talented across multiple different, you know, um, um, <clears throat> uh, um, areas that are of expertise. So I think where he, I mean, where we are right now is exactly where United find themselves under Mourinho, exactly where they find themselves yeah. under Solskjaer, exactly where they find themselves under Ranić. It doesn't matter. You know, Van Hal. I mean, once well, one thing I will say about Van Hal is he was at least competitive in big games. I mean, he went one and yeah. But 
Yeah, Ole had his moments too, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Meeting I mean, City, yeah. Over, over Guardiola in the season, but I'm looking at this and going, yeah. United in the past have had the money to second manager back somebody else and get through it. Yep. This is where, you know, the foot, I think the football club stuck in, in, in limbo when I met where even yeah. the people inside are not working towards a long-term goal because most of them aren't going to be there. And mostly mm-hmm. this is not going to be their decision as to who gets replaced. Um, I would say teams is probably hard also to work in that environment. It is, I'm sure, because, I mean, even looking at it as, I've thought about it as well. And when you start to consider all this, especially knowing the things we know, talking to the people we speak with, it's kind of, it is a holding pattern. The club is in a sense. I mean, holding pattern might be a nice way of saying what's going on at the moment because it's far more chaotic than that. But in terms of progress, it's a holding pattern. You know, you take the manager discussion and all of that. And um, if Ineos were in and running it right now, you could say if they decided to replace Eric Den Haag, it wouldn't be the wrong choice. If they decided to keep him, it wouldn't be the wrong choice. But certainly nobody should be making that choice right now, right? Mm. You wouldn't want United current structure, the current people in there making any choices about United's future today at all. Because I don't, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong that Eric Tenog is the right guy or the wrong guy. I want the right person to make that decision or the right people to make that decision. And those people are not there yet. Right. Um, and so it is a holding pattern because I, I also, as much as you could see um, how things are with the Glazers, we know that for a fact they met last week with the whole Enios sports team with Sir Jim Ratcliffe. They're not going to go and take a bunch of decisions right now. The Glazers aren't. I mean, it, this isn't a hostile takeover. This is a partnership. And... um they're not going to go and make a bunch of decisions that aren't, you know, on their own backs right now with Ineos essentially set to come in and take control of sporting. They wouldn't do that because one, it puts their entire deal at risk. And two, they're not that kind of stupid actually to just go ahead and fly off the handle and do things that are not in coordination with their future partners. Um, and so it leaves a lot up in the air and, you know, there's a, there's a few other things we, we can kind of, this will lead us to in discussing, but simply put until this deal is done, not a lot can happen. And once this deal is done, then what do you do? Well, by all accounts, you one likely appoint Jean-Claude Blanc as the acting or even interim CEO, because now it's been reported, which is very much likely following the meetings last week that Richard Arnold will not be present as CEO should Ineos group take over the sporting department. And um, you told me something about that a little while back. So I know that that has been uh, in the works for some time, actually. Uh, very likely that Richard Arnold would not be present should this this go through, right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> that's what I was told um, quite a while ago, actually, a few months ago. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they were particularly impressed by him. And I don't think he was particularly impressed by them. Um just slightly to finish up on Tim one thing that yeah. I would say, say in, in his slight defense, he deserves to work at a football club that has stability. Yes. And when you look when things started to go wrong for him, it was pretty much when United got put in the market. Right? That's mm-hmm. where, so February, so United played in the League Cup final in February, right? United put the club pretty much on the market. They announced the strategic executive. I'm not saying that there's or these are related, but, um, I think that that definitely had an impact this summer and how United went about their business. And when you, so I think it was difficult for him to build on that success because, um, you know, I don't think United were willing to support him to bring the players in that would have taken United to the next level, like a hurricane or a Declan Rice or something like that. Um, And I think, uh, you know, he deserves to work at a football club that has some stability, you know, because it's, you know, United is internally a total mess. And, yeah. um, you know, I think what will be interesting to see is how United change environmentally once, not just in terms of the technical stuff, but in terms of playing stuff, how do they deal with 
a whole different uh, disciplinary structure. Because, you know, United don't look at players as their players. They look at them as assets. So mm -hmm. you can have two, three, four bad years at United and not have serious consequence because they look at how much does it cost to sell you, how much does it cost to replace you. And those financials, James, are absolutely horrendous. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's blatantly obvious that United and their current condition is unsustainable and cannot continue. And that's why I said before, the one thing they can't do is nothing. Um, uh, that is at breaking point. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it is interesting, the numbers on all of this, because when you look at the financials, I think what they lost, 28 million pounds, something like that for the year. No dividends. Yeah, no dividends. 28 million in losses, even with record high revenues. Um, and million, uh, um, million still owed in next land and transfers. Yep. 54 million owed on income. I mean, it's horrendous. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, I it's been well established now. And there was a good article today that I have been told is, is definitely accurate as to the plans, which is um, the biggest thing. And there's, there's already been talk of this a little bit, but the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I should say, maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest things that any of us have already identified it doesn't take a genius to identify it, but you need the right people to fix it has of course been United's transfer policy and how it goes about it because you take 28 million in losses and it seems like, holy cow, that's a lot, right? Football clubs are always going to be on the brink at best, right? You, you would expect that you're not expecting them to make money. That's why the concept of Jim Ratcliffe coming in and using United to make money is, is ridiculous. Football clubs don't make money. Mm. So it's okay if it brings it back closer to level, right? It makes more sense. The bigger problem is when you're spending as much as you're spending and you look at what you get on the pitch, you're getting nothing for your money, for an enormous amount of money. 28 million is the cost of Anthony per year. That's what they lost. That's what they're losing every year is the cost of one Anthony transfer. And you've got nothing to show for that. And another 28 million is the cost of Casemiro that Ineos apparently were unimpressed by given the cost, the contract length and all of that. And the one year that he has seemed to last at United before diminishing and declining. We could point to a dozen examples over the last 10 years of similar things. Right. And um, <clears throat> I agree that Eric Ten Hag deserves to work in a proper structure. Some of this is of his own making, um, you know, the I was going back through articles in the beginning that he demanded a lot of control over the transfer policy, and it so far has been a failure. I think it has been an abject failure. It's been the worst of any of the managers in terms of what you've got back from what you've spent so far. Yeah, yeah, because what I take from it is one Anthony eighty-five million. It's probably the worst transfer we've ever made. I think it's the worst. I would when say look at, Pogba maybe with with that. Pogba maybe, but I will give Pogba this under Jose Mourinho. They won a few trophies that first year. The first couple of years he was quite good, and it fell apart. And um, we didn't get anything back from it either. So it's up there. Part of the thing that bugged me about Pogba was he was. I honestly thought he had the potential to be one of the best midfielders in the world. I thought he was so ridiculously talented, and I just. I never quite had that expectation with Anthony, but I would. But agree I think that's you. why, right? Like, but I would agree with ahead. you in the sense that yeah. what United needed at the time and what they bought, you know, when we don't have when we never banned Pogba, they had a lot of money to they had money to lose. And it did yeah. not have money to lose on the Ten Hag, and when it did bother me at times last season when he was saying we we need a striker we're not scoring goals. Well, one of your forwards cost eighty five million. You know why did yeah. I think United could have got away <laughs> with not having? Him last yep. season, um, yep. you know, would have lost three goals and three assists. Okay, uh, we'd have, I think that's what he ended up with. Would have been all right. Yep. Um, I just and and we're we're now in November in the second season, and he's got no goals and no assists. Like that's just not acceptable. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think Pogba is a bad transfer because of what happened on the pitch and in the football club. He's an, a stunning player. I mean, he won a World Cup in the time that mm. we had him as one of the best players of the tournament, had some great seasons in between injuries and things like that. There was not a good plan for him, and that's why that went ugly. Yeah, I agree. Anthony just hasn't shown anything to justify any of it, right? Casemiro, obviously very expensive. 
lasted one year. Huge position of need, and we didn't get a long-term solution. I'm not saying Mason Mount is going this way because I think he could prove a useful player, but when he's on the bench for the Derby, you're looking at that and saying, what's the point? What's the point? Rasmus Weiland, I think, is a great piece of business, personally. I think he's going to be a a good player in the end. But regardless... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but regardless, it's it's a matter of... um, Take one of the first things they will do, aside from replacing in the CEO position and likely putting in someone like Blanc as an interim, which is an excellent appointment, one of the most experienced and uh, well-traveled football executives out there, is to restructure the the transfer policy to a modern structure and institute Eric Ten Hag as a head coach, essentially, is what it is. It's it's not the manager of old like like Sir Alex Ferguson because it just doesn't work. And put him in as a head coach. And I think that is where you give him a chance to succeed. So, you know, to your point of that, he deserves to, to, to be in a structure and a setup that works best. I think that gives him the best chance to succeed. And that's what he's working with at Ajax. Yeah, exactly. He had Overmars who was uh, extremely well qualified despite anything else that was going on. Mm-hmm. Extremely well qualified, extremely well connected, knew exactly what he's doing and built an incredible team. And you can see that Ajax has fallen apart with the departures of, of Overmars and Bandersar as well as Ten Hag. Obviously, it's not one or the other. It's all of it together. That it was a good structure that has completely, you know, gone to pot in the meantime. And so, yes, he deserves to be involved in a proper structure. All the United's managers have deserved that, frankly, and, and none of them got it. Um, and so I think, you know, that that is one thing that needs to occur right away with uh, with Ineos coming in is a restructure, and it is what they plan to do to set up the proper systems in place and um, the policies in place that is done in the right way. It doesn't mean your manager doesn't have a voice in transfers, but they are not the everything when it comes to it because that's how you end up in these situations where you know they even can back themselves into a corner and, and, and uh, you've got to protect them from it. And you have to have specialists do what specialists are supposed to do. You have the best scouts in class. You have the best technical. I've never had that because all this was obvious 10 years ago. I know. And when you appoint Ten Hag, right, I mean, you have Joe Glazer, de facto director of football. Mm -hmm. And so in Ten Hag's defense, he had to take over because there was no existing. I agree. I agree. That would have brought in players that would have um, complimented the way he played. You listen to what Ranić said, right? And which was, I mean, he was stating the obvious. You have to identify the way you want to play, and then you buy players that are suited yeah. to the way you want to play. You never had a good idea at that stage they were bringing Ten Hag in. And, I mean, they knew by April because they'd appointed him, then decided to go for Frankie De Jong in June. Why? Why didn't you try to do that before? Why didn't you know by June what you knew in August? Yeah. That this is not going to happen. And then, and see, this is how you end up spending $400 million and wasting it. Yep. You don't have to panic at the market and go buy Casemiro at $60 million. You know, yep. you are much more precise. You go, okay, if, if the event De Jong doesn't happen, we've identified these players that are similar to him. They can do exactly the same. I mean, what Ten Hag was doing in Ajax was obvious. It was obvious how he wanted to play. It was obvious. I'm sure they had conversations in the meetings that they met, but, you know, before they hired him, what players would you like to bring to the football club? And again, you know, Anthony cost more than what he should have for this, you know, Casemiro for the same reason, because they dallied, they waited, they messed around, and then, oh, shit, now let's panic and go overpay for him. There's a, a tweet from the European lad, the Ajax account. And he's saying, honestly, if you pay a hundred million for Anthony, it'll be one of the biggest mistakes in United's transfer history. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I wasn't, you know, when I, when I heard they were interested in him, I was indifferent about it. It's like, mm, you know, um, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I look at him and go, that. Sign and made Hunt and Hog more than mm-hmm. anything else because yep. it, you know, you're sitting there with a forward line that you've spent um 150 60 million on with a winger that's one of the and the other one on the other side, one of the best play, paid players in the world, and you can't get a goal out of them. That is unacceptable, yeah, yeah. And I, and 
obviously those uh, emotions are running high, but I, you know, I, I said yesterday with Anthony, because when he came on just to, to go back on that, what he did when he came on to me, is unacceptable. We're unlucky. He didn't, frankly, in my opinion, because we might be better off for it, but what he did was completely unacceptable. And it's not the first time, you know, um, Casemiro ended up with a red card last year in a key period of the season because Anthony picked a fight with a player on the sideline and ended up in that whole situation. He actually did it a few times last year. Um, but to come on in that situation and act like that is com- is completely unacceptable. And it's and it is, does haunt Ten Hag because when you're talking about judgment, when you're talking about character, he was the one who backed him entirely on it. And he hasn't shown that character. And he hasn't shown that is a, a, a big black mark on his judgment as a manager. And it will, I think, haunt him if it's not already. Um, but either way, you know, yeah, it, it's, you know, the, the biggest issue is Joel Glazer has never really empowered football people to make football decisions in a, in in terms of a modern organization. I don't actually think that's just a football problem. I mean, there's things I've heard, there's things you've heard, and we've talked about in the past down to some of the micromanagement that goes on, where it's a it's a it's a it's a poison through Manchester United that there are not people. Any modern organization has departments and heads of departments and people empowered to make decisions within those areas who are the experts in those areas. Manchester United does not. People have never been empowered to make those decisions, and you have to. At some point, you have to empower people to make the decisions who know what they're doing and put the trust and faith in them. And if they make the wrong decisions, you replace them, but you cannot micromanage them for the rest of time. And that has been the issue under the Glazers for the most part, and that's why that we, what we all know should have been put in place has never really been put in place. And that's what we hope will happen under, under Anios. They seem to actually have done from the more I read about it and the more that it's talked about now and an incredible job with this recently and Nice, um, who are still continuing to have a very good season and continue to turn things around. It took a few tries. It took some chopping and changing. It took some short-term chain uh, pain. There's no doubt about it, but they have by all accounts a very well structured set up now with a very intelligent director of football, very intelligent manager, and everybody's aligned. Um, And there's a lot of comparisons being made there to Brighton now in terms of how it's running, how it's set up, and how it's starting to look. And that's um, obviously what United need overall. Um, The second – go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Between the defense, the midfield, and the forwards, it's exactly the same dysfunction of the pitch between the business department – doesn't doesn't has no has no synchronicity with the football department with the medical department they all work as individuals this is of course going back to what Guardiola was saying about how there's you know um symmetry between all the departments and they know exactly they have a clearly defined goal of what success means and they work towards that success there is none of that integration there's none of that um cooperation there's no clear defined success goal and there's nobody really being incentivized inside the club to make sure the sport and success happens, right? Yeah. Everything is geared towards just make sure there's a profit. But now that's not even happening anymore. And so you're looking at this, you go, what you, you this is always claimed, what you see on the pitch is a microcosm of what goes on yeah. off it. And you can see the complete disharmony on the pitch is, is reflective of the complete disharmony that goes on off the pitch. They bring yeah. those problems onto the field. They bring all of that. And those players look like the last place they want to be is on the football pitch. Just and uh, but when we get to the end, this one ask we're taking the captaincy up. Bruno Fernandez, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, go ahead with that because I got another point to to, to talk so about. We're, so Roy King brought up this point yesterday, saying he would take it off him. Um, Bruno Fernandez, if he's played in, I mean, to be fair, it's hard to look good in this United team because, like yeah, we yeah. said, there's no the the the, the movement. You know, they, they, I mean, I don't know how many times they see defenders walk out with the ball, throw their hands up in the air because the midfield doesn't come for the ball, doesn't doesn't take bases, and they just knock it long. So, um, the the but Bruno Fernandez is petulance, right? When things aren't going well, he starts throwing the arms up. You know, he starts you know behaving like a child. He does it bring composure to the team he doesn't lead he doesn't lead by example he doesn't get other players to get their heads in the game and one of the biggest weaknesses that i think united have is the mental weakness where they accept defeat so quickly right as soon as they go behind it's like well that's it and you can see it 
with yep. the, the intensity of the runs, with tackles, with you know Gallo not getting back, you know uh, we've already lost. And I think you need to be a leader that drags players back up that extra five percent that doesn't allow that to happen, that isn't the first one to lose your temper, that isn't the first one to be temperamental. I think you need someone on the pitch that is respected, but all not just as a good player. But as a leader that says, okay, if we yeah. fall behind, you know, I'm going to make sure we keep a composure. I don't think he does that. No, it's a tricky one because under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's in his second season, Harry Maguire was still captain. Bruno arrived. And I think over the next 12 months, United came from behind to win more than any other team. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the captaincy obviously gets overrated in modern football, I think, as compared to of old, where football was a little bit more personality-driven and a little bit less tactical, a little bit less systematic, or a little bit less cold in some ways. Sometimes I, I think that's the case, that football is a little colder than it used to be. Um, but in other ways, it's 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 that doesn't change that that's still true, that the attitude when going behind from the captain, is it's still there. It's still not great. And how much effect it has can be debated, but it's still not great. It still doesn't make it okay. I think obviously some of it is when you're not performing well, you always are looking for a focal point, someone to put the focus on, someone to good or bad to drag things up or the reason that things are going poorly. Um, You can have complaints in both directions. Harry Maguire was too passive as a captain, according to most people. Didn't whine enough. Didn't get in people's faces enough. Bruno Fernandez is too whiny as a captain. Gets you know is is too petulant. I actually think it's both. They're both true. But I don't know that there's a person I would give it to. And that's that the other question is who. You know. I mean, in terms of in terms of attitude. The fact that you know, don't have any leaders. Yeah, I mean, in terms of attitude, I'd give it to Andre Onana. I'm not saying he's done exceptional at every point in time, but I think he has so far showed one of the best attitudes. And I want to give a little bit of praise because if there's one person who could walk away from that game with their head held high, it is still again, Andre Onana after the save at Copenhagen, after coming back from some really bad moments, he has a good attitude. He does have the right mindset for someone like that. I'm not sure that he's a leader in that respect. I don't necessarily love goalkeepers being captains anyway, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know who you'd give it to. You know what I mean? Um, honestly, I don't, you know, I thought it was an error in one of the ways that United approached the recruitment in the past too, was not looking at this. Um, Declan Rice, for example, he's been, he was captain or he was, I mean, he was captain at certain points in West, over at West Ham, even from a young age, um, a leader. And when you look at Arsenal, they've been bringing in people of that quality mentally, of that mindset mentally, of those kind of leaderships um, in terms of what he expressed, at least at a club level on the pitch. And um, But United have not pursued players like that. It seems like it's a... Seems like it's a sort of an un some sort of one of the profiles is strongly missing from the signings for for ages now, in terms of the the players that they've been signing is um, that mentality aspect of it. Jaden Sancho, obviously, Pogba, we've seen things like that. I mean, you have to go back to guys like Juan Mata to to say who they brought in, who actually are players who have like top leadership type mentalities who are composed. Um, well, if you look at the players in their band today. Most of them are either young players or fringe players, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, Horland's a young player. Now, Mason, Mount, you know, how he played nine games last season. Um, Amrabat, you know, no, I mean, a decent player. Uh, but for the most part, you know, they're not bad key players from other teams. Yeah. Not, and the key players from other teams cost a lot of money. Yep. And the key players from other top teams are usually the captains. Right, mm-hmm. so Declan Rice, of course, is the captain. He costs a lot of money. Harry Kane, Tottenham captain, right, costs a lot of money. Right, these are the peak players at the top of the market. The cost peak prices. Yeah, United can't afford to buy those players anymore, so they're buying players on level below. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And those are very rarely your leaders. Those are very rarely. So if you're a captain in a top team, you know, you're, you're someone that has very special characteristics. Like you, you, it's just really hard yeah. to get those players. Uh, most clubs don't want, if you're a top club, don't want to sell those players. And if they do, they cost a lot. You know, they just don't yeah. have the money anymore to buy that level of player to compete. Uh, sometimes you get them out of your academy where they emerge, you know, and you're, you get lucky. But, um, I mean, if United's best captains, if a Roy King come on the market today, United wouldn't be in contention for him. I mean, yep. they just wouldn't have, the, they wouldn't have the resources to go get him. And so yep. um, I think part of it is when you look at the profile of the player they're buying, um, they're getting players that clubs either don't want um, or that still are, are very risky in terms of development. You know, where you're, you're I mean, Rasmus Quillen, Jaden Sancho, all those types of players, good players, Anthony, you know, there's, there's just a lot of development left that it's, it's risky. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and that's kind of the issue when you take the team at the moment, if you take it off Bruno, I don't see a better choice. I don't know that it's going to make you better. I think you obviously would just talk to him. I think he's a reasonable person. I don't think he's a player who takes criticism poorly or a player who you can't, um, I don't know that he's going to change because he's got a personality and that's what it is. It is what it is, but uh, I don't know that it does you any good taking it off of him at this point in time, but um, Patulance does does not really worry of being a captain. I mean, when when he was Patulance, but he was also uh, a leader, right? Mm -hmm. He was also someone that, Channel that petulance in a different way. Like, I mean, there's this yeah, famous right. goal against Newcastle where he put one in the top corner where he was, you know, angry with the referee, bang, wax it in the top corner yeah. against City, his overhead kick. I mean, they, they, he channeled it in different ways, but when you channel it like a petulant child, right, where, I mean, even after that Spurs game when Bruno was talking about not getting the penalty, and they should have had a penalty, but to me, it's kind of like, leave out the us. Leave out the fans yeah. on the internet. Like, you're a captain. Make sure you're not in a position where that's crucial. Go put the yeah. – because, you know, the rice for the header miss, the, the, the chances of you miss that game. I mean, yep. this is – that to me is more consequential than you moaning about a referee, right? Agreed. Let Tim Hogg do that, let, but not yep. you because you're on the yep. pitch and you can control the outcome. Because once yep. you start blaming referees, that kind of means you're absolving yourself of responsibility for what goes on on the pitch. You just you stick to what you can control and what's on the pitch. Fine if you want to complain once, but just that, that annoyed me a bit. It was like, really, is this where we're at? Anyway, it just yeah, it's frustrating. I hear you because yep. um, I I said this a couple of weeks ago. I said if how do you get this team to believe that they can be successful whenever they can't win a big game against the I mean, they haven't won a game against the top nine. I mean, where where does that confidence come from? What I mean they they haven't won a single game all season with the exception of Palace in the Cup by more than a goal. And as soon as you know, I remember Bayern Munich, as soon as they got the three three two, Bayern Munich stepped out, got boom. The three one Bayern Munich were taking players off, strolling through the game, just like City were doing. As soon yep. as they needed to score again and turn it up, score, right? I mean they're just so easy to beat. Yep, exactly. And and it has to it definitely has to has to change for all the reasons. And you know, the other thing that's obviously been a major factor that I want to touch on uh, that we spoke about. And uh, aside from the transfer policy and the change in CEO, I believe this is the third area of major focus that Ineos feel that they can make a difference in pretty rapidly, which is the um, fitness and sports science side of it. Um, it's one area that Ineos believe they're probably have one of the most robust, if not the the best in the world in in class departments on this. It's something that um, you know Sir Dave Brailsford and such is is obsessed with, and something where United are well known to be way behind. Um, injuries have been huge this season, and uh, if you take the Varane and Regulon being on the bench thing. Maybe they were not fit after returning from injury and playing midweek. Maybe they've been re-injured again, which is why I said I didn't totally believe the tactics thing, that maybe Varane is injured yet again, and uh, Eric Ten Hag has played pretty coy with his injuries and uh, and and things publicly like that. But um, Pep Guardiola said something really interesting in his press conference before the game um, that we touched on here quite a while ago now and have talked about a few times. 
Um, let me just pull this up here. He, he said that in the midweek, Manchester City don't do a lot of physical work. He said they work on tactics. I know for a fact that that is the same for Brighton and uh, Deserby, who's getting a lot of credit there for how they're playing. I know that holds true for a lot of clubs. And I know that two clubs in particular who are struggling with injuries right now are known to do an extraordinary, and I do mean extraordinary amount of physical work midweek when you have two games. And that's United and Chelsea. And both teams have had huge injury problems and both teams have really struggled to start the season. And um, there's even a comment from, from, uh, from Palistri earlier in the week that sort of hinted at this, which he said that sometimes after their um, training sessions, you can't walk the next day. And that's all well and good. But when you take teams like Manchester City and some of the best teams that have some of the best sports science and analytics departments on the planet that are a well-tuned machine and do not have these injury crises. It is not luck. And one of the most disappointing things, and I think this was something that was wholly unimpressive to people like Ineos, was when there was apparently a briefing given to the staff from Richard Arnold that they looked into the injury crisis and there's nothing they could do about it. That it was just bad luck because people who are really professional in these areas would never ever just put things down to bad luck when you have so much of something happening over and over and you have a pattern. And um, it's, it's, it's well known. This is not my opinion. This is something given as I don't know, I'm not an expert in this area, but this is not my opinion. It is a thing that was shared with me by multiple people from different areas about United's training structures and their load management and that the players are overworked. And I remember when we started the season after a busy preseason, a lot of running, a lot of work. They didn't start the season unfit. They started the season tired. And there is a difference between being unfit and being exhausted. And, um, and, uh, and, and there is a balance that you have to find between the two. And when you look at a team that doesn't seem to know what they're doing and looks tired versus a team that can beat you practically without running and midweek, you know that they're spending their time on tactics and your team is spending a time on running. Someone has to step back and say, we have to change something. We have to do something about this. And it's, 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 again, it's an area where United have been underserved for such a long time. On that. Yeah. So in Ten Hag's late defense, United having a number of injuries predates him, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember Ranyuk complaining that why do we have all these injuries? Liverpool don't have these injuries. They're playing twice a week. You know, we have all these injuries that are outrageous. I think part of that is goes back to some, what you were saying about not having a functioning um, sports science and data analytics department that supports, yep. you know, proper training and proper Correct. Yes. techniques Absolutely. to make sure there's proper rest and recuperation. Uh, you go back to Cavani, you know, Cavani was choosing his games, you know, claiming he was injured. Yep. The doctors were saying he, he wasn't. didn't trust the club. Yeah, you know, Austin Schweinsteiger didn't want to get treated at United. You know, Paul Pogba didn't want to get treated at United. Lots of players did not want to get treated at the football club. Now, to be fair, you're entitled to use your own doctors if you want, but I think the club should be a part of that. I mean, the, the, there's an enormous investment in you and your health is, you know, related to, um, you know, their success too. I don't think it should yeah. solely be your decision, but um, and, and so I think uh, Ten Hag worked with Guardiola Bayern, which is his assistant. So he'll be familiar with what Ten Hag, what Guardiola's training techniques are. And actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I was digging this up. Ten Hag was asked about this on the over the summer, about what they do between games and training through the week. And he said, it's just revision. It's revision about what we're trying to implement. And um, so we're essentially looking at where we went wrong in games and then trying to put it right. I don't, I mean, this was over the summer, so I don't know. Um, but uh, he, 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 there's no question you needed to have a, an outrageous number of injuries. And the fact that, you know, Hoyland's getting dragged off because he can't finish a game, um, you know, it, it's really, really concerning. And um, yeah. it's consistent. And, you know, it, you're going, you know, I'm not, 
quite sure what the right answer is here. And I know that the threshold between someone getting injured and not is not well defined. You don't know. Is this is this the game going to get injured or is this the game not where he's not going to get injured? Um, and uh, I, you know, some of them obviously have been a bit unlucky, the Luke Shaw one. But I, you said something that was a little bit interesting. Do you think that Ten Hag is deliberately vague about what players getting injured and what those injuries are because he doesn't want to attribute it to his, um, to his methods? I think there's a bit of that because it's not fooling the opposition or doing anything, frankly. I, I don't think there's that type of gamemanship. He didn't really do it last year. Not like this. Um, they were vague about Jaden Sancho, but that was a totally separate issue. Um, not like this, where we don't know what's going wrong with Taro Malaysia for six months. We have no idea. Um, the timelines are unclear. Timelines for players returning is unclear. If players are on the bench with a knock, it's unclear. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got a lot of criticism and it was used definitely against him for playing players who had knocks and having that come out and going through it. And so maybe it's easier to not tell people when your players have a knock on the bench, if they're going to play through it or not. I think there is a bit of that going on because the more the injuries have piled up and the more that questions are being asked about it, the less information is free flowing from United. Um, there, the reason I brought it up again today was, uh, aside from the quote from Pep Guardiola, there was a story that came out this morning that I know is well-informed because I know kind of where it comes from and I've heard the same thing. The ESPN did write the story and people will think this is the players complaining. It's not. It's not the players. There's a lot more people involved in these things than players that know this kind of stuff. And um, it, this does go beyond Ten Hag, to be clear. It's not like it's just Ten Hag's issue. Um, but it was a story from, from ESPN says there are concerns within the dressing room that the intensity of the training session set up by Ten Hag and his staff are contributing to fatigue and in some cases injuries. It is a concern. That is not a brief against Ten Hag to get him sacked from people within the club. That's really not how these things work. Uh, they do in some cases. How many other clubs not... do you hear this from? What's that? How many other clubs do you hear this from? Not many, do you? Hmm. So, in my opinion, if you're playing the way you're playing right now, you don't have any grounds to complain. You cannot oh, yeah. go out and complain about intensity, all that, right? Mm -hmm. What you can complain, right, is if you go out and put a good performance in on the Saturday or at least some one time a season, then I might say, you know what, I have empathy there because you can see that um, this guy's giving 100%. But whenever I see players, throwing the hands up and, you know, just surrendering. I'm not very sympathetic to them because they've done this to everybody. They've done this mm -hmm. to Ranić. They've done Mourinho's too nicely. Solskjaer's too nice. You know, Ranić you know, was, was talking about this in press conferences. Uh, this guy's trading methods. Uh, this guy's trading methods. I mean, I, I heard some of this about Solskjaer. You know, he's, you know, his Berman, you see where Kim McCann is doing, right? I heard them complain about Solskjaer. You know, he's... Training methods are from the 18th century. He's not very tactically astute. You know, Mourinho complained about injuries, right? Complained about players not willing to play through the pain barrier. Play, you know, and, and I've heard this so many times, rinse, repeat. They'll find an issue about a manager before they'll take responsibility themselves, right? They'll find an issue about a manager and say, it's his fault. And this is the problem is maybe you want to look at yourself and say, hey, you know what? Before we can blame a manager, we got to hold ourselves accountable. I mean, yeah. why was Marcus Rashford out last night, the night after a derby, right? In 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 um, China White, why was he out? Because it was his birthday. Maybe have your brain. You just lost three 0 against Manchester City, and you want to go out and party, right? Why? You know, I mean, this is this this is they have some respect for the fans, but also. You've been atrocious all season, mate. Right? I'm not saying you can't celebrate your birthday, but these players would never survive at another top club doing this. They'd never be allowed to play this badly consistently. Yep. And 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 the players around them would hold them to better standards. Like what did Ronaldo say? Other players want to drop their standards, refuse to bring them up. So to me, all all, all things aside. 
I'm holding the players accountable because they're always doing this and they're always finding a way to make it someone else's fault. And this is where I think you need to have to be really hold firm. Is even if Ten Hag's not the right guy, principally, these players have to understand you cannot get a manager sacked by doing this. Mm-hmm. That is correct. You will not That's be totally sacked true. because you decide that you don't like him. But this will yeah. be forever. Yeah, absolutely the case. And and you know, there's always, always multiple sides to a thing. There's always, you know, rarely ever is it black and white that it's it's this or that um in either in either case and they can't and and that's why it extends far beyond the manager which is what i've said about that the entire time as well it extends far beyond the manager this issue this issue of injuries this issue of fitness this issue of training this issue of all of it it extends far beyond the manager to me and that followed him everywhere to, everywhere he's went yeah. to me this is more like you know I'm sorry, like I'm just I get fed up with their with them complaining about these things. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it has the you know, the thing with it is of course the rules, the principles, and the way that this goes has to be established by someone other than the manager too. It has to be established from from above them. Yeah. Um, of course. It has to. And if it isn't, then it's always going to be yeah. prone to questioning because the manager is replaceable. The, the club first... has to have its own guides its own rules its own principles that guide everything once players are being taken out of their comfort zone and being asked to do things they don't want to do the only way that they're going to respond to that is one if there is no it's like like a weak parent as long as there's no one that's willing to give in and let them have their way yep. and as long as they understand that if you don't do that the consequences are for your agent and like, yeah. as long as there's a safe space for bluffers and bullshitters at the club where, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put an extra 10% in. I don't want to be better. Then yep. this problem will never go away. And this is this is the thing. Like, I mean, we've just said there's no leaders at the club. There's no one that has a personality that's willing to drag 5% out of themselves or anyone else. But to me, I think um, this is where there's a bit of a gut check for United in that, Yep. Know, whether Ten Hag's the right guy or not, that's a different question. But what you can't do is you can't allow these players to get another manager sacked. The but but that won't change and won't happen until someone's in there running the football club as a yep. football club where they're like, look, this if you can't perform to the level this football club wants you to, you don't get a new contract, you don't stay here for three, four years beyond your sell by date because we can't afford to replace you. We'll find a way of getting you out and we'll find a way of replacing you. And that's of course making sure you have a coherent transfer strategy so that you've got younger players coming through, always constantly pushing them, pushing them. And, you know, players getting dropped, players rotated, partly because the players that come in never, you know, hold the shirt. Scott McTominay yep. held the shirt. He starts against City. But very rarely do we have anyone who comes in and says, you know what, you can't drop him because he played well. Yeah, so, exactly. So, um, this, is a, this is a big problem. And, uh, yep. you know, United have panicked in this situation every other time and Ten Hag has for me, you know, the biggest challenge of his career to try to turn this around because you can already see it's Groundhog Day, all the little leaks coming nigh and you can see it in their body language, you can see it in their face you can see they're like, you know I mean, every one of their, says, their face says excuse my language, fuck you to Ten Hag in my opinion and um, once you make it easy for them to blame someone other than themselves for this, then you will just perpetuate this problem. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, I think for everybody is that this, this minority takeover, this takeover of sport and control is going to prevent the wrong people from making the decisions right mm-hmm. now, because we are at another crossroads as a club for many reasons on all fronts. And they're probably all connected. You can't separate it all out when you're seeing this on the pitch, when you're seeing this in the management, when hey. you're seeing this among personnel. How much are you getting for those uh, any oh. PR checks? I just got a new car outside. Yeah, room. me too, man. It's been pretty good. It's been no, pretty nice. I swear to God, I run to the bank every day. Any check, ching, boom. That's sweet you shale gas that. money, you know. Yeah, it's been, it's it's been, been fantastic. Thanks very much <laughs> for talking about me on your podcast with no one listens to you. Here's a million pound check. Thank you very much, big man. <laughs> It's made a big difference <laughs> to them too, right? It's had a huge impact on everything. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> the funniest thing. But, yeah. you know, and, and so I, I it, it's, you know, just kind of to sum it all up in there, 
for me, my take on it all is once they're in place, and I do think they will be in place, and I do think the next decisions that are going to be made, even if it technically is a little bit ahead of when things are totally ratified, when owners and directors tests and the delays and things that will go into a deal like this, the next decisions on staff, on players, personnel, on all of it, I think will be made by the right people. Mm. And opinions all aside, I personally will completely back and support whatever choices are being made by those people because it will be for the first time in a long time, the right people making those choices for the right reasons. And obviously in the long run, we judge them by the results they get. Dude, by the way, that Paul, is at least what we want. Just yeah. quickly on that. Did you see when Guardiola was asked about this before the game? Yeah. When he was asked about, you know, sporting director at United and he said, yeah, if United bring a proper sporting director and make the yeah. right choices, of course, you know, you'll see a completely different match as United come on. Right. And I mean, it couldn't make it clearer about what the disconnect Everybody knows. Of course, everyone knows this. Everybody somebody. knows. And I'm telling you right now, if Guardiola had joined United any time over the last 10 years, Guardiola would never have had the success that he's had at City. Oh, neither. United never would have been able to support him that way. It would have no. been an And that to me is probably the best defense of Ten Hag that I can yeah. give you. And that that is, I don't know if he's a right guy or not, but that is an impossible environment for anyone to succeed in. Um, yeah. And um, I think that uh, that is the biggest change that has to happen. And I think that will happen. But um, all right, man, we will be back again. Uh, League Cup on Wednesday, I believe it is. And then, yeah. um, so uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully by the time we speak again, we're in a better, better mood and a better position. Um, we'll see. Let's hope. <laughs> see you later, All right. Bye, Appreciate it. Bye.